Coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado, it's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mommy Fox, Christopher Savage Bull Landauer, and David Garrett. Welcome, Savage Cast listeners, to episode 24, The Secret Agents of Cross. In today's episode, we have an interview with Pete Rutman, the creator of a new setting for Savage Worlds called Secret Agents of Cross. Uh, but before we get to that goodness, how you been, Fox? Doing good. What, what kind of gaming and other fun stuff you got in, into recently? Uh, still running Noir. It's going better. Uh, you know, after you finally the, get your players on board, I finally got my players on board, and they're kind of they're kind of following along and uh, you know, going some different places. I mean, uh, trying to to stay off the railroad a little bit, but you know, it's a plot point, so you know, you do what you got to do. It's it's a little railroady, but yeah, it's going well. Um, well t- tell me about the, what you did this weekend. Oh, this weekend I actually uh, I went and shot zombies. Actual like physically shot zombies. Yeah, yeah. Sh- yeah uh, it's uh, called it was called a Zombie Apocalypse Live. Uh, it was at a uh, the 13th floor haunted house uh, here in Denver, and uh, you basically uh, got a military training A4 uh, that basically it's all uh, compressed air, but you know um, felt like an A. It was I was really surprised. It was by the end I was sweating because the gun was it was heavy, and I'm like oh this is gonna be some little plastic thing. It was all metal single shot, three round burst, and you were just going through the haunted house and the zombies all um, had uh, headbands on. So you would shoot them in the head and the headband would go from like green to red. So you knew if you hit them or not. Uh, Lots of good jump scares. Um, I will say I had a good time. I'm just going to say, I don't know if I had $60 worth of a good time, but it was fun. I enjoyed it, Uh, you know, kind of a little... uh, LARPing in a way, I guess you could say. Well, and it sounded like your group got, um, you ended up like chaperoning some younger random kids who were there with you. I did. Yeah. We basically were waiting in line and we're just getting ready to go in. And there was uh, two boys. I would say they're probably, I would say 11 or 12, you know, and uh, mom and dad uh, obviously are not into zombies or haunted houses or something. And uh, we're just getting ready to go in. And, and one of the boys turns around and then it was myself and two other friends. And he just looked at us and goes, would you guys be okay grouping with us? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think they. Uh, I don't think they wanted to go by themselves. But it. Uh, you know, it worked out really well. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you didn't get shot in the back, though. I, I didn't get shot in the back. Uh, my friend D actually. Uh, two guys who were coming behind us. Uh, she shot one of them. Nice. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, they came around the corner and we weren't moving as fast as they were, and, and down, she just turned and down. shot. And as when we got when we left, she's like, yeah friendly fire i shot the guy behind me i thought he was a zombie <laughs> so oh, that's fantastic yeah, it was great you know it was a really nice haunted house uh and so i had i had a really good time um not something i've ever done before so you know it, it, it was worth doing excellent at least once uh you know i've got a my deadlands game uh finally getting back with that group uh, tomorrow we've had you know some things come up and uh you know summer summer is coming it's gonna be very, very busy, and so I don't think I'm going to get as much gaming in as I uh, 
normally do because I've just got so much stuff coming up for the summer. That's true. I haven't rolled dice since our last recording, but uh, we have some cool new information on the uh, one of our local conventions is not running this year. They're kind of retooling it. So to fill the void, we've got a brand new game day on the horizon. So the uh, mark your calendars, local listeners, on the last Saturday in July. So I think it's July 28th. Uh, we've got a game day planned. And uh, details not, not no details yet on, on location or times, but the, uh, the date is set. And uh, so we're going to get together and just you know, have some uh, Savage Worlds goodness, some D&D. We'll get the Pathfinder guys there. And then a bunch of the wargaming kind of crowds in, in state will get together. So we're, we're not going to go a year without gaming. Yeah, um, we're going we're gonna to see what we can do. Uh, this will be the first one that uh, we've run as a club. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be one of those, uh, where we're going to have to learn, learn some things as we go, look at some lessons learned, but, uh, something that hopefully, um, is going to be an ongoing, um, games throughout the year that basically, I think what our plan is, is we want to, we want to supplement. I think that's a key here. We want to supplement our local conventions. So we're going to look at times to have these in between our local conventions because it's not we're not looking to compete with anyone that's you know that's not what we want to do our local conventions are great and we want to have a presence there and we want to run games but we want to have something during that in between time that's going to fill that void but also you know help us out as a club because I know Chris you mentioned we're not much of a club if we're not meeting meeting yeah. and doing club activities and it's a role-playing club, so therefore that means we need to start running games outside of conventions. And I think trying to bring in the other guys, the, you know, the Pathfinder, the D&D, the miniatures, you know, just to show that you know, it's not just Savage Worlds. We're going to be inclusive of, of other games and gaming systems because we want to you know, just fill in that time for other gamers, too. I know not well, everybody that, plays Savage Worlds. Well, that's the thing. Like the, you know... I ended up getting roped into being the uh, RPG coordinator at the, the biggest cons in the state because yeah, it wasn't a, a position I aspired to. It was more like the the guy who was doing it before me like went off the grid and so you know it had to be get done. And the the nice thing about the success of the Savages here is that we kind of built a really good formula and a base of how to organize game masters and get stuff and get information out. And you know and that we grew the Savages. Over time, from you know, I think when you guys started, it was you know four or five, six tables at most. That was a big. That's a big for you know anywhere. But now we we run a savage one hundred, and that's you know an immense you know a thing. But in the same amount of time, we went from the the conventions were kind of in a little bit of turmoil, and we had the the lowest number of RPGs getting run in you know the modern history of the cons. And these last cons, we had the most, uh, and it was the most, you know, Savage Worlds, the most D and D, the most Pathfinder, and then almost a hundred or even over a hundred, you know, other RPGs. I, mean, I don't want to call them generic, but the the unaffiliated between the the big clubs, the non um, living or organized club RPGs, we had you know up to a hundred, and so we're really good. I mean, we're, we're our success as Savages has allowed other groups to have a similar success in kind of organizing expectations, and um, so we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that momentum. And uh, so we're planning right now, and because, you know, the, I think it's the end of July, and then end of November, last weekend in November, and then last weekend in March are kind of going to be the, the cyclical dates for our game day. And that puts us away from all the big cons here. You know, we're not, we're not competing with the big gaming cons or the, or the big other kind of pop culture cons. And that's, you know, three times a year. And the other thing, too, is by, by sealing the dates for, like, the first five of these events... 
I think we're also telling people that, yeah, we're going to be around. This is going to be something you can actually come and invest time and, and do because we're not, we're not going to flame out after one or two. And, um, you know, and, and we're, we're doing, you know, the expectations, I think, are, are different for a game day than for a convention. Like, we're not worrying about securing a hotel and getting people hotel rooms and, and food budgets and all that kind of overhead that's really kind of tough as a, a, a convention organizer to, to organize and, and run and make sure. And, you know, any more hotels in Denver are really picky places. You know, they're, they're, they're really kind of the, the explosive growth here in Denver and the real estate market and the number of people moving here and the businesses moving here. Um, you know, we're the, the second busiest construction city. There are more cranes operating in Denver than anywhere else in the world except Dubai. And so that's the, the hotels have all kind of caught on to that and they're charging ridiculous rates and have ridiculous contracts. And so until that market evens out, and it might, it might in the next couple of years, there's a, a really big... Um, convention hotel entertainment complex called the, the Gaylord that's opening up um, in the next couple of years here, and that might you know level the playing field on price for convention space and dealing with hotels, and hopefully they'll be a little more reasonable. But until then, we're kind of just, you know, for us as a club, yeah, not dealing with that. Just going for hey, we want to get people together, we want to just game, and um, yeah, just come know. out for the day. You know, you don't have to you don't have to put in a big investment of time. You know, just come up for the day, come, come out and, you know, play in three Savage Worlds games or play in three D&D games or, you know, however we end up being able to structure uh, the day and, and slots and things like that. You know, and that stuff we're still we're, we're still working through is, you know, how how do we want to work that out and logistics and price wise and things like that. But, uh, you know, save the date, July yeah, 28th. Yeah, save that date uh, and uh, plan to, to come out and join us uh more information to come, I think. Yeah, no, we'll be, we'll be in the Denver metro area, and uh, hopefully we're going to get a full day of gaming, and it uh, should be fun. So save the date, July 28th, and uh, more details to follow. I think even tomorrow we're looking to get the contract with the one of the venues we got on, on tap. So um, hopefully that all works out. But save the date, July 28th. Come play some Savage Worlds and or D&D Pathfinder, you know, Star Wars X-Wing, historical miniatures, whatever you want to play. Um, we got space for you. So... Yeah. Oh, and before that, there's one other bit of news before we get to our interview. Yeah, I didn't find a. I, I was you know searching for Savage News and didn't didn't find a ton. But I did. If you guys haven't uh, gone to Peg's uh, homepage or seen, if you don't get the daily or the the weekly email uh, from Peg, they have a new Kickstarter coming up. Um, they're still doing the. Um, God, now I can't for the whatever they called it the booster. Yeah, kickstarters are, are the shorter kickstarters. Uh, this one is actually for the last parsec. Um, it launches on June twenty sixth, and it's only going to run through July sixteenth. And this one is for Iron Gate, which cool. is going to be a source book and a plot point on a prison planet. I I've run last parsec. I ran uh, the entire. Uh, uh, plot point campaign. Uh, God, everything's def- like leaving me now because I didn't write it down. But it was the the dinosaur planet. Uh, can't remember the name of it. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we'll we'll uh, have to find that out. But to run a plot point on a on a prison planet that sounds really cool. So uh, watch for that on the twenty sixth. And I, that's about it on news right now. Um, of course. Yeah. The other uh, other big Kickstarter is that's going right now is Secret Agents Across, and we've got we'll get Pete um, Rutman on the phone here pretty presently yeah yeah and that's uh so should be a good interview uh hopefully uh we'll get a lot of good information out of pete to to make sure people understand what he's going for and uh you know help get that kickstarter uh over over the hump and get that thing funded so yeah we'll uh 
take a little break here uh, and uh, be right back and have Pete on the line for an interview about Secret Agents of Cross. Savages, uh, we have on the line uh, an interview with uh, Pete Rutman, who has a Kickstarter out right now called Secret Agents of Cross. So, welcome to Savage Cast, Pete. Hey guys, thanks for having me. We'd like to start out interviews uh, with this question. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about your gaming story. How did you come into gaming and kind of how did you find Savage Worlds? Sure. My brother Jeff was the guy that got me into gaming. Basically, this was right around the first Advanced Dungeons and Dragons coming out. So they had played some of the box sets and, and that type of thing. Um, but he didn't inter- introduce that to me immediately. He wanted something simpler because I was probably like 10. We played uh, Melee and Wizardry, you know, the, those, uh, I believe they're called Fantasy Trip. And just little pamphlets. I think he had Strength and Dex. I played that with him and it was it was awesome and you know that was a new concept I did board games and stuff you know before that but uh, the, the fact that you had a little bit more autonomy I right away was seeing that even though there wasn't a heck of a lot of that in the in the in the adventures that they're providing so then I got into D&D and I watched my brother and his friends play all the time and I uh, kind of got exposure to that and uh, then finally went to a, a gaming store and found Champions uh, by Hero Games. And that was really what uh, matched up things with uh, what I what I liked from, you know, regular media. I, I loved the Super Friends and uh, uh, Spider-Man is Amazing Friends, all those kind of shows, the, you know, uh, anything comic booky, And I, that was the that was the perfect, you know, tie up for me between the superheroes and, and gaming. And I've done that then, you know, for for pretty much my whole life uh have uh i ran uh two pretty long campaigns one more in my in my uh post-college uh era that ran for about 10 years um oh, wow. and that you know we can get into that how that that's really what what spawned the secret agents of cross to exist actually um so uh but so yeah this is this is my main hobby this is you know what i what i really care about and and really why uh, because I have such high standards for myself in, in, in the games that I make, I, I tend to spend a lot of time and a lot of my free time. And I thought, doesn't it make sense to extend that to other people? They, they can use maps I make, they can use cardboard cutouts I make, adventures I make. And now finally, after a really long time, a setting, which I found way more challenging than anything else I've ever done, is to actually try to, to put together a setting that you can create your own adventures in versus me creating the adventure for you and then you run it yeah we 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 know all about that trying to you know coming (laughs) up with buccaneer um yeah you can wave your hands if you're just doing a one shot or a small campaign about a lot of stuff like oh yeah i'll just tailor it to this group and then when you're doing a setting you're like but i'm not going to be running all these games in fact i'm not going to be running most of these games so what do you do like you know you really kind of got to you know you, you get this idea like 
I, this has got to be solid. This has got to be good. This has got to be, you know, turnkey and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, no, the, the, the pressure to run uh, and, and create something a little more solid is definitely there. But, man, you 10 years you ran this. So this is like going to be a well-play-tested world. I mean, if you ran so like So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll say that as far as a superhero world, um, obviously that was heavily tested. So we're talking about the champions with uh, – with their their world uh, that they had created, and then I just started changing everything, you know, to my liking. And at first, the champions really didn't have a setting; it more like had villains and organizations. And and that's probably partly why my first setting is really an organization. It's not a world; the organization's in a world, and there's some you know details about that. But it's really if you if you don't want to be a secret agent across, you can't play secret agents across. But we, of course, we know there's lots of settings out there where you can be all sorts of different things. And that's that's even bigger. And, you know, I have ideas for big things like that down the road. But but man, knowing knowing how hard it is just to do something simple like this, um, you know, one organization in the world. Yeah, it's uh, it's daunting. But it, any, but it, it does yeah. provide focus, though, if you think about it. I mean, the yeah. you know, a lot of times trying to get. You know, there's so many fantasy games that I played as a kid that like just derailed because the you meet in a tavern didn't go well. You know, the the reason everybody is together, the reason we're all here. You know, you you got twelve different ideas. Like you know, yeah, John over there, he he's got you know he he doesn't have a girlfriend yet. It was, we're all in middle school, and he really wants to have a girlfriend in the group, and like he wants to role play that, and like the, none of us had girlfriends, and the GM certainly didn't have a girlfriend, so like that's gonna go nowhere <laughs> fast. <laughs> you know, the other guy just wants to go loot shit and be a backstabber, so he's gonna steal from the the, the, the party's gold. So the second he gets caught, he's his character's gonna get killed. You know, the other guy wants to go be a paladin and you know save damsels in distress. And, you know, and, and you're like, oh, yeah, you meet in a tavern and some guy wants to hire you to go do it. And, like, none of us are buying into whatever the actual mission is. So, no, I, I, I think there's – I don't think a setting is any less because you've got the focus of an organization. I think in a lot of ways it, there's a lot more clarity on what it is to play this game. Like, no, you, you're in this organization. You buy in. You are – this is what these are what you do. And I, I think that – you know, in – I don't think it's any less than having a, a, an open world or anything. I, I think it also because it on the flip side of that coin is it provides a, you know a good amount of direction for what your games are going to be like and what you can do with your games. Um, and it's a little more railroady, but I mean that's also the appeal. I mean everyone there's a kind of a current trend towards sandboxing shit, and I'm kind of against it. It's not like I don't want to give players agency, but I want to give players agency in meaningful, interesting ways. And it's a lot easier to do that if they're playing along with the conceit of your game, the concept of your game, versus, oh, I got six players and I have to make everything interesting for them when they're all going different directions, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't, I think you're fine on, hey, this is the organization you're going to be, you know, and that, that's how we ran our, our Living Deadlands campaign um, you know, as a group, was you, you are all part of the Twilight Legion go because there's no other way to run multiple gms easily i mean you could do it but like easily and effectively to have multiple gms and be able to have some kind of standardization and level progression with people if you know you're not writing your narratives around hey everyone's on board everyone's getting paid everyone is you know a a sworn member of this organization and this is what the organization does um so i think that's actually a strength for your setting and it's set in the modern you're setting it in the modern world, right? So, I mean, you kind of have a, I mean, a built-in world per se. Yeah, yeah, 
Exactly. And, and, and for whatever reason, that's just, that's what I've liked as a, as a GM all, you know, all along. I like there, I like there to be some familiarity for the players to, to jump into. So they're not, you know, completely alienated by it. Not to say that, 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 that that's bad. I'm sure there's people that like that, but for me, uh, it's, it's such an awesome thing to just be able to build on, you know, what, what a person knows and then just twist it or, you know, and enhance it or, you know, whatever, uh, you know, component that you want to change, because then, you know, it, you know, you can even say, you know, like when I talk about cross kind of like the idea of it's being like shield, but if the Catholic church ran it, uh, you know, so you can take that modern pop culture, you know, aspect that everybody's familiar with that would be at the table and you can kind of just quickly, get them to to realize oh okay yeah i gotta go contact uh authorities oh well the fbi because it's a kidnapping i can talk to them I, that just is so natural to me since i've done modern games forever you know whereas you know you can do that in any in, in a completely whole cloth setting but you got to figure out who they are you know so it's i guess it's another one of these things what you were saying before is you know it does bring focus to you know what what, what the game is really about because we we have a lot of setting in our heads already just because we, we already live in the world. Yeah. So for our listeners who haven't seen your Kickstarter yet, you have a Kickstarter running right now for a setting called secret agents of cross. And there's a really great video. Your intro video is actually pretty slick. Um, why don't you give us the background on what, how cross got started in setting and then what the various archetypes do in a setting so that people get a, a flavor for what secret agents of cross is all about. Sure. So, so really the, uh, the history of, of why Cross exists um, is is basically a, a cardinal uh, that that's part of the Vatican. So you know, part of the the leadership of the Catholic Church uh, basically was uh, with Pope John Paul II. And when he was in, when he was the Pope, um, he was nearly assassinated in St. Peter's Square, and uh, I think he took two you know like six bullets to to, to his body, but he lived and. For for our, uh, James McDonald, the, this cardinal who was kind of in charge of security and 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 that type of thing at the time, he was very, uh, you know, he felt that that was like the epitome of how the world is is violent and just you know going out and being a, the pope being a speaker or you know suggesting things to the world wasn't enough. So he kind of, you know, something changed in him and uh, he really in in essence went rogue. And be, began to create um, uh, organizations. There was some preliminary organizations that he started with that basically develop into Cross. And his idea basically is that he'll he you know he's not rogue in the sense that he doesn't care what the Pope says. In fact, he listens to every prayer and every edict and anything that that he says. But he tries to convert those along with his uh, his uh, command staff into. Uh, missions that will uh, proactively deal with the problem. So uh, that that so that's an essence. So if if a person were were to play this game, you're you're likely Catholic. You know, not not the person. Sorry, the character that you play is is likely Catholic or really half Catholic and has to be uh, looking for uh, a proactive, not a reactive, you know, world. Um, and you know we know, and one of one of the things I think is unique about the setting uh, really comes around the fact that um, this is not an agency the size of Shield. It's actually quite small. It's actually uh, you you can see in the uh, allusions to it in the Kickstarter video 
that uh, the headquarters of Cross is actually underneath the Vatican uh, in the catacombs that are that are under there. And uh, the cardinal basically created this, uh, what he calls the manger, which is a <laughs> big, <laughs> yeah, uh, mm. a big operating uh, or a big uh, operations theater, you know, like like you'd see, say, in like war games or something. And they run missions across the entire United States and and the and the world, um, you know, right out of the out out of the place underneath the Vatican. But the the, the key is that they are a small force. Um, they're easily scrambleable to anywhere in, in the world, but they have contacts throughout the world that are Catholics. And uh, so you could, if you know, if if uh, you guys roll up guys uh, and we and, and send you on a mission, you might end up at in seattle washington and your contact is a christian uh radio dj and he's he runs the safe house in seattle he helps you get your armaments for the mission gives you some details and you're on your way so we kind of take all of those people in regular life and give and give them roles as sort of you know uh you know, ground zero agents really you know oh yeah and, the, the uh, radio call sign on that's got to be krss <laughs> it's like, all, so, all the radio call signs like west of the Mississippi's are K's and all the ones east of the Mississippi are W's. Oh, yep. So well, what's a good W for Catholicism? Oh, we'll have to come up with one a good one. The um but no, I mean the I, I love the kind of the I mean obviously there's you know the internet punditry, anything remotely controversial gets pounced on, but um I'm not scared of it. I, obviously you aren't either of bringing in Modern sensibilities, modern day stuff, but you're also gamifying it. So, you know, we're still playing a game, people. And mixing in religion and also some humor. I do want to touch on that a little bit because I find that kind of interesting, the whole religious yeah. aspect. Yeah. Tell me your stories about going to Catholic school and <laughs> all of the wonderful, like, bruised knuckles and damaged soul you had from dealing with nuns and priests because I was there. I did that. Oh, did you? See, for me, it was just the opposite. I was, uh, uh, my, one of my mom's ex husbands, uh, his family was very religious and they thought I was a devil child because on Sunday mornings they would come out here to visit and they would basically want to go to church and, my mom would go to church with them, and I wouldn't go because I wanted to stay home and watch wrestling. Nice. <laughs> Satan child likes the yeah. wrestling. Oh sport. no, and they and they they would oh they did not like the fact that I would not go, and I always found that really amusing. <laughs> Actually, obviously, it stayed with me because that was you know thirty years ago. <laughs> well, and I was always sad because there was always really good wrestling on uh, during church. Yeah, so. back in the day, back in the day when wrestling was good. Yeah. When, it, when it wasn't a damn soap opera. Well, and there's a little bit of that in your game, man. We noticed like the healer archetype picture had a luchador mask on. So yeah, you're you're uh, yeah. That's just that's really funny because I mean that's just part of how I. I'm I'm actually originally a superhero guy. I played uh, I played D and D with uh, you know, melee and wizard and D and D with my brother when I first started out, and uh, we went to a game store and there was Champions from Hero Games and. And I'm like, this is this is really what I wanted to do. Really like, I wanted to to run those games, and that's really where my my history started. But as I played Champions more and more, I just found, uh, you know, that there's just there's more to modern settings than just superheroes, and that's really how this whole thing has evolved 
because uh, I did so much magic and uh, demons and all that I was doing in a superhero game. Like I love the, like you said, like the manger is the name of the headquarters, which is like a nice little funny little pun. Um, <laughs> but even within like, um, well, so, so CROSS itself stands for Catholic Response Organization to Strategize and Strike. So it's kind of like a G.I. Joe force for Catholics. Yep. Um, and you list a bunch. There's at least, what, 10 archetypes that you mentioned already in the Kickstarter? Correct. Yep. And uh, some of those are actually really hilarious. Like the first one is the Silent Knight. Uh, tell us about that that um, archetype. Sure. So you know, one thing you, uh, again, you know, to use uh, to use other modern pop culture, I I I think of Cross a lot like I think of like a Catholic leverage. So if you've seen that show, you know, you have your thief and you have your hitter and you have your uh, mastermind. All those roles you know, are basically uh, are, are part of that 10 with a little, you know, expansion beyond the five that they have on that show. But I was looking for, uh, and we can get into why I picked Savage Worlds, but it really comes around this concept. Uh, I love the idea that you can play a character that's best in the world, best of the best. And so, you know, as an example, like the Silent Knight, that, that's your thief and your infiltrator. And, you know, that, that person is exceedingly good at, you know, doing those those uh, those types of activities, and then that you match them up with, you know, you know, four or five other players that pick, you know, the other archetypes from that list, and you have a you know a leverage, you know, heisty, you know, uh, a team kind of kind of vibe, and then you just uh, slap Catholicism on the top of it, and you go, wow, this is really, you know, uh, strange, you know, <laughs> and maybe a little different. Oh you know, yeah, and I, I love it. Like so, yeah. So, so the, the the stealthy character is the Silent Knight with a K. You know, I mean, you, I, you, yeah. you just hear it being like Silent Knight, stab, 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 <laughs> Holy Knight. You know, repel down the, you know, whatever. And then and what? Then almost every Silent Knight has vow of silence armor. So just oh, to, nice. <laughs> continue doing that. And That's and fantastic. you know, you're you're hitting on what I think is really fun about the setting. I am sure there's somebody out there that that is going to see that in a negative light. And I, and I understand that, and I'm fine with that. You yeah, know, it, we you don't know, need your twenty dollars. Thanks, that's it. <laughs> what what I what, I feel like I haven't hidden this from anyone. You know, so you know, it, 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 I tried to be as uh, you know overt about it as I could. So you know, that yes, there's going to be some silliness, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, these characters are going to go out and and do great works and perform miracles and try to make the world a better place. You know, and I think that that should be what someone, you know, that is, you know, strong in their faith would see and, you know, take it or leave it. But that's where I'm at with it. Oh, yeah. Well, there's always a place for humor and for drama and, and, you know, and for play. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, the the modern movie take on horror is dripping with a Catholic sort of. Uh, pastiches and and kind of overtones and you know most of it's not actually very well read or accurate but it's you know it, it's kind of a um, you know so much of either you know exorcisms or demons and ghosts and you know those kind of things you know are are evolved out of um, a reinterpretation of Catholicism um, or Catholic doctrine or even just like the the sort of apocrypha around Catholicism whether whether it's the actual doctrine or more just you know um, extra uh, writings around it, uh, and, and and you know, and those movies sell really well. It's an established genre. There's never really a whole lot of, you know, super people pissed off running around about that kind of stuff. So I I don't know that there's there's a a legitimate claim that this sort of thing can't be done. You know, I, I think 
yeah, there's definitely I think there is a place in gaming and in fun to you know draw on modern conflicts, modern sensibilities. But yeah, but gamify. Like I think everybody knows when you sit down at the table, this is an exercise in fantasy and fun, and you know, small f fantasy, not and storytelling. Yeah, storytelling. You know, it, it is. I, I think people choose to get offended more than they actually are offended about stuff, and <laughs> they, so hopefully, we don't end up on, on the receiving end of too much of that stuff because. I, I mean, I, I mean, my setting I'm working on is Renaissance Italy, and there is a ton of that stuff. I mean, very many of the same things you're probably going to hit on about relics and artifacts and powers are things, you know, probably be very similar things that I'm working on because, you know, they're not they're not original, but they're they're interesting and they're pulpy and they're fun. I mean, if you think about Indiana Jones, most of the Indiana Jones, um, uh, the backbone is about Judeo-Christian religion and artifacts, and that's the the backdrop in which they put on Nazis and you know high high swinging action on top of that. And so you know I, I think these are legitimate tropes and ideas to like work with and play with. And you know I think it's because they are approachable. You know people have a general sense of of in the real world what these doctrines are, and then also in the you know the 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 fictional world, the fictional realm, what people have done with them, and um, I think that makes it approachable because I think one of the things with with gaming is like with D and D. You know, oh, are we in Forgotten Realms? Or are we in Greyhawk? Or where are we? Are we in Ravenloft? And then you know th- those are entire worlds with their own um, you know histories and fluff and stuff. And you know, getting all the players involved and read up on that was always really hard as a kid. Was, you know, usually one player would be the one kid in the group read all the books. You know, and the DM bought the setting book, but then everybody else was kind of like, "Well, I, I know about Tolkien a little bit, or you know, I read one of the Dragonlance novels, whatever." But you know, when you have stuff that's actually related to the real world, I think players can get into it. You know, you know, like you mentioned the Pope. I mean, you know, all the people in, in the world who aren't Catholic, I'll bet you sixty percent of them can probably figure out, like, "Oh yeah, this is what the Pope is, or this is what the Pope does." You know, these are the organizations. We, you know, they they know the the language. So you're not spending a whole lot of time getting people up to speed on, uh, you know, stuff that you build your stories around. So like, the, you know, everyone's kind of got a, at least a, a foundation in like the language and in what kind of what kind of goals you're going to have to do and what kind of things you do and how how you play those characters. So I think it's a good idea. Plus, I really love the fact that um, the uh, like in, in cyberpunk, you usually call hackers ghosts. Um, so in yeah. this setting, the hacker's called the Holy Ghost. I love it. That's <laughs> hilarious. You, so you mentioned a little bit about, uh, you know, why Savage Worlds. So I'm curious uh, about that. What uh, what led you to Savage Worlds uh, to say, hey, uh, this is going to be the rule set that I want to use? So, yeah. So I, I think, you know, obviously I've mentioned uh, Hero System and, and Champions, and that's where Cross really started out. That was that was my go-to system for, you know, basically decades. So um, it made sense for me to use that. And as I as I was developing it, um, I, you know, I don't know how much you or your user base, uh, uh, fan base, you know, knows about uh, Hero System, but um, it is it's it, it's definitely from the sort of crunchier days of, of role playing, you know, uh, you know, uh, tons of there, there's a fair bit of math. They have a, a character uh, generator software that they've they've had different versions of over the years because there's 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 fun in actually just making a character which can take you hours. Um, it is extremely flexible. And uh, and that, you know, was part of what probably kept me in that that realm, especially with superhero stuff, because it's really, you know, you don't really have roles and archetypes as much in superhero games, uh, at least until they really started, um, you know, 
building it into, you know, like an energy projector and a brick and, and started bringing those things in. In the early days, we were just trying to make up whatever the heck we could think about, you know, and uh, and th- and that was really awesome. But it is really heavy duty uh, game. And it's hard for me to run at conventions because there's just so n- so much nuance. So that's really what got me thinking, is there something else, you know, that that would work for me? And uh, I played um Savage World several times at Garrett Con uh, in Lake Geneva, and I realized that it not only does it have some similarities of these sort of building block concepts that you, you know, you you can uh, you know buy a power and you you know you can do certain things with that those powers and you know edges or you know there's just there's uh, some synergy there. So I liked it right away from that standpoint. But when I started getting into exploding dice and bennies um you know some of the really uh, really specific mechanics that makes uh savage worlds unique um i realized that that answered my uh concern that i had with with hero system was it didn't uh, it, it just did a better job of doing the best of the best best in the world sort of concept i just love the fact that as a gm i can tell the person who's trying to crack the safe you know well, you can Benny and roll again because you're really good at cracking safes. It doesn't make sense that you failed. And, you know, I, and I, you know, I, all your, your fan base knows, knows that up and down. But when you first, you know, kind of get into that mechanic, at first, you know, exploding damage and all that seems, uh, you know, crazy. But uh, I think it fits so well for the sort of over-the-top sort of, uh, uh, you know, really just best, best in the world type of uh type of character any type of secret agent you know type of thing so i fell in love with that and and really that's that's where it took off from there and you know went through the whole process of getting a whole nother license specifically so i could write it for savage worlds so So in your setting the um do you have your characters start at novice necessarily or do could they start um they started they start at novice and you know and i and it works just fine because uh, they're, uh, because they have those bennies and, you know, the, the, it just, it, it, they don't seem like, a you know, going back to the days of having a first level wizard and going, well, this is my third one. I hope this guy lives. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> first level wizard with four hit points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, I have heard complaints about Savage Worlds at the, you know, at superhero level and at, you know, going, you know, out of the sort of heroic level into the superhero level, you know, and that's not what I, that's not my concern. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to go into those areas anyway, whether there there's merit to it or not. Um, uh, but it works well at novice. It really does. And the way miracles work, uh, I think it's similar to, uh, the base, the base, uh, rules is that, you know, you have access to, uh, all the miracles that are on your character sheet. You get, you get them all the way up to the, you know, to the highest level, and you just pay a penalty when you want to roll for them if you're going to use them. But, you know, that that's really the only limiter. Otherwise, you know, with the way that extras work and, and wild cards work, you know, that wild die, man, that just makes all the difference. Yeah, we talk a lot about exploding dice, and that's, you know, that's that's a, a seems to be a key for a lot of people for the system, and they really, they really dig the fact that that you have those dice and and as we like to say in a, another podcast I'm on Savage Worlds happens and those those exploding dice allow Savage Worlds to happen. Yep, and, and I I do find it fun to read the posts of people trying to change it 
and uh and 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 my uh you know and as far as like savage worlds black goes i mean that's that's a that's an effort man to to take something that seems to be incredibly well balanced and very difficult to change without breaking it so you know we'll see what happens uh you know what they're making next but uh uh you know it you know my own my only just you know dislike about savage worlds it seems nearly perfect to me except the god dang index right if I had a better index <laughs> my life would be 10 times better you know we've offered like we, we have a standing offer with shade and people in the group like we will make another index for the you know and, and he's like i'm gonna do one better for black just leave me alone yeah, we, yeah no, so we'll, we'll, we'll uh we'll be cur- yeah that, I, we'll be curious to see thought- what what they're gonna have in black I, I'm happy with what we have. You know, I, 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 what I should do is just razor the index out of my editions so that I don't try to go look in there because that costs me more time than if I have, <laughs> if I tried to just do it, you know, cold or from the table of contents. No, so, that, yeah. that, that is true. They, I mean, they know what they have. So, you know, knowing that they have something that balances so well uh, with those extremes of specific, specifically exploding damage is... Uh, Seems to be, you know, something that people like to turn off, you know, on the game when they when they haven't run it much, and you know, it, it just, you know, it balances so well in in my opinion anyway. So yes, I'll be as a fan, I will be heavily interested in see where they go. Well, that's actually one of the, the topics for either the other part of this show or the next show. We're going to talk about how not to die in Savage Worlds. And uh, I agree with you. When, when people come from systems that are a little more hit point based, where you know it's attrition versus wounds based, where you can get one wound and, and not take another one for five combats or get the equivalent of ten wounds in one round, um, you know, it seems different, but the way you play that is also different. So the, we got, we got some tips on people on, you know, how you're actually supposed to play that if you want your character to survive in Savage Worlds, um, versus dying. And that, that, that kind of, that usually responds to people who are, oh no, we can't have damage explode or we can't, we got to change this. we got to change that. And, you know, a lot of those come from, like, like you said, people who are coming from another system, which is also another like th- way of thinking about gaming. And yeah. they want to change it back to more like their system. And it's like, well, no, give it time. You know, play it for what it is first and just see. And, yeah. you know, usually people come around on that. But I want to ask you about a couple more of your, 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 um, your characters that you've established. The, uh, the one that gave me flashbacks to my days in Catholic school was the, the Holy Mother. Um, what's <laughs> the deal with her eye patch and, like, mechanical hook hand? That was kind of so, horrifying. I, I had, you know, visions of rulers <laughs> coming at my, 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 uh, my knuckles and... Yeah. Uh, yeah, a cybernetic ruler coming out. Yeah. Right. Uh, Mo- uh, mono wire ruler. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. None with a mono wire ruler. See, see, see. There's a point where maybe you go too far, and uh, <laughs> I try to toy that line. You know. Uh, yeah, the Holy Mother is. Uh, she is. She's just a beast. She's a. Uh, she was a. Uh, um, her parents were killed in 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 France, and she get, got dumped into an orphanages, and she began to her her life to be a nun and then she met uh uh a fellow that uh that does um trains uh riflery and there was a uh, an effort to have the vatican actually be vatican city be in the olympics and uh they decided to have a riflery team and uh, she got on that and uh that propelled her into the world of espionage and 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 the war and she was a Nazi, she she assassinated nazis and 
really what it comes down to eye patch and uh, hook hand is that she probably should have retired and she didn't and she did all the <laughs> subsequent wars and it started taking a toll on her and so when uh when the other cross uh, management uh you know uh, started uh interfacing with her probably on some mission they realized the only way they could stop her from pretty much killing herself out there uh was to give her a job of importance you know within cross and basically they they're really saving her life because she would still be you know i don't you know in her elderly years out there trying to snipe off, you know, some, somebody, you know? Oh, I love <laughs> and, it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that is kind of fun uh, for us. Like they're part of, of world building. And you get to make some rich characters like that, that have some history and, you know, you either your players find out about it, either the slow way or the fast way. But the, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole chapter there that she's one of the command staff. All of those are fully fleshed out characters with full stats and the intention is that, you know, once in a while, if, if uh, shit hits the fan and you, you may need, um, to, you know, one of those guys that usually isn't in the field, out in the field. And, uh, you know, my hope is that changes the dynamics heavily because now you have someone in such high command level, you know, uh, you know, messing with your team of five, you know, best of the best individuals. Now you got six and you got, you know, pretty much a very bossy, you know, component in there. So um, I, I'm totally looking forward to you know writing an adventure a, a one sheet or a mission you know whatever for each one of those uh command staff people to get them out in the field for something nice yeah so in addition to the silent night and the holy ghost which we mentioned before um what other of your archetypes would you like to highlight for us well you know obviously you've got your your standard exorcist and honestly the exorcist was one that i worked pretty heavily on in playtesting because um, I wanted to make sure that they, that, you know, but really, I guess this was across the board. I didn't want anyone at the table to feel that they picked an inferior role. So I tried to balance them all out and give them a lot of capabilities. So, you know, I, I prefer to have an exorcist in the group, but uh, there's rules uh, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, you know, basically best teams of whatever size and what the, what the roles uh, that I'd recommend. Um, but uh you know, you know, we cover the gambit. I'd say the Judas agent is probably uh, heavily uh, uh, liked in playtesting. Uh, the Judas agent um, generally has a miracle shroud, uh, which is actually uh, uh, in the test drive file. Um, and that uh, the, the miracle shroud basically gives you the ability to take on any clothing uh, appearance that you want. And even farther, uh, kind of similar to like Doctor Who and the the uh, the oh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's he can basically show this uh, uh, this blank pad of paper and it'll show like a badge or whatever. Yeah. Um, the Judas agent can do that. He can't hand it to anybody, but he could actually show them something. And that that once that entered my game, people were like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" And then additionally, there's also a, a, a face 3D printer. Uh, as long as they have a picture of who they want someone to look like, he can uh, he can print those out and hand them out for you know various teammates so they can they can go in and do some kind of you know uh, con job you know with multiple people. So that one has been really um, uh, really popular and people have commented that was the you know the one they really liked. Uh, secondarily, the Holy Ghost, which we mentioned before, Holy Ghost is probably the one that I've had the most trouble with because it's the most. Uh, easy to use uh, in a modern setting because between all the computer stuff that's out there in the modern world and the fact that I gave him a drone, 
um, you know, it really it really makes so that you can interface with the world physically and virtually uh, very easily. Um, and I did actually make in the Game Master section, I made some rules about slowing your your Holy Ghost down a little bit. Um, basically, trying to my uh, my uh, uh, career is uh, IT security, so um, I've been doing IT for a long time, and I basically looked at all the types of hacking that uh, people do. You know, be it information gathering, you know, be it crack, you know, cracking into something, you know, whatever. Um, and I tried to, to put some time frames on what that what that would cost you uh, just to kind of slow you down. And then the idea of how many of these things can you simultaneously run and putting those in there. Uh, it's a little bit more book work for the GM. But basically, all I do is write down, you know, 20 minutes uh, researching or running an algorithm to do facial recognition against these this new database or something. And then I just come back to it. Um, the game is very investigative. So there's questions all the time and I just keep a little pad of paper and kind of run through it so I'm, I'm always hesitant to bring in new mechanics but um, I was seeing my games become very Holy Ghost uh, favored and I didn't want other people to be uh, isolated from that because they might have something that doesn't have as easy interface into the world so yeah I gotta find that that balance I think it's kind yeah. of fantastically ironic if you think about it where in most games the religious magic is the thing that that causes too much power, too much speed, too much ability. So a lot of times, you, you, they, you know, writers create ritual magic rules where you have to slow it down. It, things take time. You can't do it during combat. And so in this setting, it's actually like the, the flip of that where it's the modern technology is actually what's more mystical, magical uh, in, in, in effect. So you got to slow the technology down. I think that's kind of a fantastic like reversal of... Reversal, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, the games. the other, another good point about this game, this game, uh, unlike many others, is really, really good for uh, groups that like to split the party because we have so much technology that can interconnect. Uh, I, had, I had one hacker uh, at uh, a con earlier this year. I had a guy as the Holy Ghost, he never actually physically met anybody in the party. He hooked everybody up so that they could hear him. He could he he would have his drone drop stuff off for him. <laughs> he was just totally playing this idea that he was an anonymous type hacker. And uh, but you know you know people will say that oh man you probably don't you know probably don't want us to split the party up. And I'm like go for it. Don't care. You know. And and and, and if I want I could screw with that. Uh, ability for them to to talk in a in a in a session for you know have that feeling of that that they actually are penalized for splitting the party so i haven't done that yet but it totally was on my list of things when i realized that that i don't care about that that much anymore you know it it just it the modern world you know makes that uh you know very good and yet we can still occasionally go well yeah but you can't see that you know you're hearing that and then they go oh okay well you know, I'll take a picture, you know, whatever, and they'll fix it. So, you know, it just allows us to really all because we all understand technology, at least at the consumer level. Right. So it just works perfect. So that that was un, unexpected, I guess, that that would be that's what I'd end up with and was very happy. You know, it's fun to have play styles that normally break games. And like, no, 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 they, this game actually excels there. That's that this works. This is 
this is a okay. You can do that. This is not a tripping a tripping block for this. But so one of your characters, and so the, the, I, I definitely recommend people go watch the Kickstarter video. It's very slick. And uh, but one of the characters, the healer, has a photo of a luchador uh, with it. So. Um, Perhaps that's for people who used to worship at a different altar on Sundays. Or you tell us how the luchador mask came about for your healer uh, archetype. Photo. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I uh, was was working through you know, you know what I wanted to show in those in those roles. You know, so those are fully fleshed out characters, and those are all in the uh, in the in the test drive as, file as well, so you can see them. But I wanted to not only show you what the role is, I also wanted to you know put a, a a full character together and you know with the character's purpose and you know and that type of thing so those those are the actual characters that get run in, if it's a convention game um but they're a really good sample for when you're you know making your own guy you know you can use those as far as uh you know this guy so i was you know i i had already done all the research to to find out where are the pockets of you know you know very high percentage um uh uh, Catholics. And of course, you know, uh, you know, Mexico and any, you know, any of the, uh, the countries that had, you know, heavy Spanish influence, um, would, uh, you know, you know, were, uh, channeling the, you know, Catholic in, in fairly significant way. And, uh, you know, and I had a love of professional wrestling, um, that still today, I, you know, there's two kinds of podcasts that I listen to, uh, wrestling podcasts and uh, gaming podcasts. Nice. So, you know, still, still, uh, still like it. I don't like the current product, um, but uh, but I like uh, I like a lot of the old stuff uh, and hearing about it. And I'm not. I'm certainly not a, a, a heavy in heavy knowledge of uh, of Mexican wrestling, but um, but it, it it worked so perfectly to have somebody you know kind of like an El Santo type of type of character, you know. That would be, you know, had a had a miracle moment, an awakening to the faith, and you know, joined Cross from having a, a, you know, a background in something completely different. And I don't know if I kind of stated that before, but pretty much, you know, I I want, you know, you don't you don't uh, wake up, graduate high school or college, and then get recruited into Cross, and then you you go through the ranks. Almost all. Uh, cross agents came from somewhere else you know maybe they were in the swiss military or maybe fbi maybe uh you know a professional wrestler you know it, it you know it's some something that that you can base then the additional stuff that they learn and, and they do and really everybody the, the, the key aspect is that they're believers you know in the faith and and you know and they have to be extremely good at what they do to be useful uh you know uh, to cross. And, you know, if you're, if you're on the military side, like the pallet palatine, which is the sharpshooter or sniper, you know, obviously you're going to come to cross with a lot of that knowledge, but you know, some people come to cross because they have a connection to God and, you know, they're more like Joan of Arc. Um, the mystic is, uh, an example of that the healer, of course, uh, that we're talking about now, you know, has that connection to God in those cases, you know, cross is trying to help you get some control over those abilities so that you can use them to help people. Um, because you, you, you've had a calling, right? You know, you don't, you don't just, you don't manifest powers because you have a mutant gene. You manifest powers because God says that you're going to have these powers and, and you're having it, whether you like it or not. So you might as well, you know, seek those people out, you know, uh, and bring them into the cross fold. 
Yeah, so I think uh, what you just said kind of leads to a question that I have. Um, not sure exactly how I want to put this, so I'll just kind of, I was kind of trying to think about it. But so, you know, there's going to be those critics out there who say modern religion doesn't have a, have a place in gaming. Um, what would you say to those people? Uh, you know, what made you decide, I mean, that, that Catholicism was ripe for a role-playing game? I think first and foremost, I, I, I feel that we all collectively own history and we have thousands of years uh, of history that uh, is important and cool and detailed and and scary, you know, all, you know, million things about it. And, you know, uh, I have I have the similar love for, you know, Renaissance Italy, Italy like, you know, you guys. Uh, I mean, it's just so cool and it's so uh, such a rich, you know, place. So but to use that, you know, it's either you stray away and you sort of just you, you, you just sort of ignore the, the religion that was so much a part of that. I mean, you know, how do you really focus sort of, you know, cross is a modern extension of the Crusades. You know, I mean, it, it's a crusade against people that want to damage the flock, you know, and I just uh, I couldn't figure out a way to really do justice to any of that material without somehow including the, you know, uh, the, you know, the, those tenets of, of the faith in it. And uh, and I fully and I'm not going to argue with people that say that it, there's not a place for it because, you know, because there's going to be people that I could equally argue that they don't like savage worlds. And so I don't like your setting. So, okay. You know, it, 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 what I've tried to do is be the best I can at promoting what it is. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't think I'm being subtle. You know, I drop the words in there and, you know, and silent nights there. I use the manger. I, I'm sure someone could be offended by that. Right. You know, that's, you know, so I, I just have to be apologetic to those people and, 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 you know, and, and tell them, you know, yeah, it's probably not for you. What the game's about is right there in the name. I like what you said. You're not, you're not hiding anything. You're not trying to, to obfuscate. what's the word? Obscure. Obscure um, anything. Yeah. You're just, you, you put it right out there. So yeah. Obfuscate. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too, is I think a lot, there are so many settings. I mean, one thing I have a problem with is the people who are so hypersensitive about, you know, the current fads towards words like cultural appropriation and they use it so loosely for things that are just ridiculous. I'm like, you know, I see people who are game authors use that term against other game authors. I'm like, but I've read your game and you literally stole this entire culture from like, that's clearly Czechoslovakia. That's clearly France. That's clearly Germany. It's yeah. clearly, you know, England. And you're complaining about cultural appropriation. Like I doubt you are, all of the above, you know, or, or, you know, here's your, your game. This is clearly the African continent in your game. And just because you, you, you picked a different name for the race or whatever, or this is clearly the Asian flavored area. And then, you know, and I'm like, I don't get why you get to complain about that when you literally built a career around, you know, your personal setting was a thinly, you know, uh, what do they call it? Like the serial numbers have been, you know, just brushed off. Um, version of, of actual history, but oh, you claim you, you're above reproach because you just changed some names over. It's like, no, that's not really, you know, I don't buy those arguments. And so I actually appreciate the fresh take on, no, this is, you are, you know, you're bringing in actual history. The, you know, the assassination attempt on Pope John Paul II is actually the kind of the foundational spark. Um, I think that brings richness because now people can go back and look at that event 
and see what the news reports were and see why it happened and who you know who is the attempted assassin and all those things, and that that brings amount of uh, not necessarily world building but like game building. Because, you know the world is, is is as it exists, but um, you know your players can actually go do some of the heavy lifting on researching um, you know modern terrorist groups or modern church separatist mm-hmm. groups. Or historical, um, like you bring in the fantasy as well. Like, so in addition to ha- having like human terrorists be the object of, of, of your missions, there's also you open the door towards the um, what's a better word than fantastic, but like fantastical beasts. So why don't you tell us some about yep. those? About the the, the, the kind of uh, horrors that await characters on their missions. Well, um, I don't. Uh, one of the big uh, uh, influences for me was the uh, the Golden Legends, which are basically really old stories about um about the saints and the things that they did uh and there is a component of saints uh if you anybody can can have a saint aligned with their character um they can uh in many cases those are the ones they intercede with uh to to get uh powers for their miracles with the saint helping with that i took the golden legends uh and a, a good example for most people know the you know the story of saint george and the dragon that was a golden legend and there are dragons in this game because there was dragons in these in in either legends or in the bible itself um you know or some of the other books that didn't quite make it uh into what was finally decided as the the main makeup of the bible there be those dragons are all my re- so yeah all, all those were my references and man there are some weird beasts you know uh, that, uh, you know, obviously there's the big ones, the Leviathan, uh, is in there and, uh, the behemoth and, and those, but there's some other unusual ones. And then, you know, uh, I channel some of the other, you know, things from religion, uh, jinns are in there. Um, and, uh, there's some ties in the crusades, uh, sections of the history, uh, of how jinns inter- interacted with, uh, the crusaders and that type of stuff. And, uh, Actually, uh, I, I think this is a good point to mention the uh, the history section. Uh, I could see someone saying, man, this is a little bit more detail than I need. Um, but uh, hang with it, because what I tried to do with the history is I basically do a brief history of, of uh, you know, the last 2000 years. But most of those uh, uh, passages are are uh, intended to have a modern uh, hook. So. If, uh, you know, if someone is mentioned uh, in, you know, like the Cathars when they're wiped out by the Catholic Church, there's an organization uh, called the Ventral Order of the New Cathars in the adversary section. Uh, and it's basically the bloodline continued. And, you know, they're, you know, they're uh, not happy with, you know, what the church has done. And and they'll go, you know, and there'll be an adversary in that case. Um and you know, trying to justify how I can change history and, and pull that forward you know, is laid out in there. So lots of history, you know, uh, and I think that kind of goes back to what you guys said before, you know, GMs can, you know, mine history because this is so closely tied to history. They can also mine that first history chapter, you know, for adventure ideas, um, you know, and then in some cases, there's uh, write-ups for those characters, you know, already later on in the book. Yeah, and that's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so for that as a game master where, yeah, I get people who are like, well, pages are special and, you know, print is, is expensive. And so, you know, you got to get, you know, we want a lot of this the other kind of stuff in, in a hundred and whatever page book. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff where as a GM, like, 
literally one sentence in there. Like, like the Cathars and said, I mean, like, that, that is an element that is definitely plays big in my game, even though, like, just like you, um, I'm bringing them ahistorically forward, um, whereas, you know, most of them were wiped out by the 1200s. You know, they're an interesting other sect, an adversary or ally or whatever, uh, versus the Catholic Church. And, you know, and it, it's, it's kind of a story that I haven't really seen told a lot. Um, and so, yeah, they're interesting. I mean, they, they are an interesting foil for the same, similar kind of like, well, they believe in a lot of the same doctrine, but then this is very, very different. And this is how they, you know, and, and there, there was the battles between the church and there were purges and there were, you know, um, you know inquisitions and witch hunts for, you know, and those are, those are, I think, rich fodder to build, you know, gaming history around. And then how do you, you know, and making a modern twist on that. I mean, I think that's cool. That's, that's exciting. I think that's the that stuff that drives, you know, game masters to be able to create their own content, even if they're not, you know, super well read up on being Catholic or modern Catholicism. Like if you give them enough history, they can treat it like they treat every other history in, you know, Forgotten Realms or, um, mm-hmm. you know, Dragonlance or, you know, Dark Sun or anything like that. You can treat it like, um, you know, here's the established canon, run with it, you know, pick an area. You can, you can Google or research more or you can just riff on it with your own ideas. So I think that's a very valuable tool, actually. So... Excellent. So any anything else, any other questions you have, Chris, or anything, uh, Pete, that you want to um, make sure that we get out there to people? Well, for me, um, obviously, we mentioned at the top, you know, that the Kickstarter's uh, underway. Um, so you can you just uh, search for Secret Agents Across at the Kickstarter. Um, if you're, uh, you know, I, this is my first Kickstarter, uh, which can be, uh, you know, a deterrent for some folks. Um if you read uh, the bio section on there, you can see a little bit more about me and and uh, you know what I what I've done. I've actually published already. Um, my uh, my main published work is for Hero System, which it's called Evolution Unchained, um, and it's an adventure for champions. Um, and uh, I also did it. I also converted it to icons. Um, and uh, I, my main reason for you know mentioning that is just you can take a look at that. You can see you know, a little bit more about the quality of, of, of work, um, that I'm presenting. And really I wrote that adventure specifically to teach myself ins and outs of, uh, you know, basically using all the software that I would need, um, to, to do it, to hone my art skills a little bit more, although I'm using, uh, quite a bit more, um, art from, uh, people, professionals that I'm paying, uh, this time around. Um, but also, uh, you know, just to show that I've completed, you know, project and, you know, set out, set it out and completed it. And I really left the Kickstarter as, you know, the big concern, um, you know, how to run a Kickstarter, how to, how to make sure that I fulfill the, to the backers, what I am, um, you know, that, that is due to them, uh, and so on. So it was as much as I'm a first timer, you know, and that's, that's important to, uh, to consider when you're you know, pledging, um, you know, there was a lot of effort to prove my craft, you know, before that. And, uh, you know, at one point I'm, I want to dig into the, to the, to the superhero side of, uh, Savage Worlds and see, you know, how well that, uh, that works because maybe there's some, uh, some future for me there as well, since I've taken such a liking to Savage Worlds as a whole. And you've got the test drive out there. So, I mean, you've already got something for people to look at to say, hey, I can look at this. I can see the test drive. I know 
generally what what it's all about. I know what I'm going to get. So that lessens, I think, hopefully those people who might be hesitant to go out and back the Kickstarter because you've already proved that you, you've you got a product and you're ready to roll with it just by putting out that test drive. So I think that's a big yep. step and a very, a very good idea to put that out there to and any of those people who might be on the fence. Yeah, that's and uh, available right now at blessedmachine.com, B-L-E-S-S-E-D-M-A-C-H-I-N-E.com. The test drive just went out uh, what, this morning, yesterday? This morning, yep. So yeah, yeah, hot off the presses, grab a copy of that, see if you like it. And um, you're already 50% funded, and you got three weeks left as of recording, and well, you should get this out within the next couple of days. So the, uh, there's plenty of time to hop on this Kickstarter. Uh, I think it's a great idea. I like a lot of the ideas. Um, you know, I think it's fun to go um, play some Catholic missionaries on a mission. Uh, I like the tongue-in-cheek <laughs> humor, um, but also just you know, the connections to the real world. I think it's, um, it's definitely a, a kind of an aspect I want to do with my own setting is you know, pull in real history, add in some of the historical weirdness that people thought existed, and then bring in a little bit of my own stuff and then just, you know, let people have fun with it. So uh, no, I, we, we hope you do well. I think it's a really, I love the tongue-in-cheek aspects of it. I think that takes a lot of the edge off of the, the overly seriousness, um, you know, complaint you might have with people thinking, oh, my God, we're playing a bunch of angry Catholics. Well, <laughs> yeah, no, you can, have, you can still have some fun with yeah. it. I mean, like, like, like all games, we're here to have fun. Um, yep. Yeah, I uh, and I'm actually interested in your uh, in your Renaissance Italy thing. How far are are, are you on that? It, it, it's turning into a bigger project. So here's here's the crazy thing. Remember the old box sets uh, that you used to be able to buy? You buy like you know you buy the setting and they come with maps and like you know yeah. uh, the books. The one of the aspects I want to do with the setting and maybe it's just too ambitious, but one element is doing is really fleshing out the tarot because the tarot kind of was originated there in Italy at, at that time. And so I want to use the tarot deck instead of a standard deck, and I want to use it for adventure generation, but also gameplay mechanics. So that's coming up with interesting game effects for each of the major arcana, and um, and I might even release that separately. It's just a, a, a generic gaming resource to use with the tarot. Um, but I also kind of want to do city-state combat, and so I'm actually thinking about something along the lines of a board game where you've got you know your zones like whether it's um risk or um diplomacy or machiavelli where you have kind of your your areas um and creating kind of city state versus city state combat rules um and i'm like you know should i should i go the board game route like and, and have that be part of the role-playing game because more for just like one like a, a conflict resolution mechanic and two for keeping track of of data like you know, I, I kind of love those movies and situations where you see, like, um, like in Patton, you've got the Germans have this big map of Europe, and they have these big pushers, and they're kind of moving little pegs around, you know, and that's kind of there. Mm-hmm. They're tracking the war. Something similar to that for your RPG game where you'd have this map, and you're kind of, you know, keeping track of forces and, you know, and something back and forth. I'm like, how would you do that? Could, you, could we do a... A board game where you'd actually get it printed on some like rag board, and um, so you're still screwing around with those ideas. And the the other element I want to work with is the uh, kind of the Machiavellian sense, and sort of the like you, you, your character, like the Judas agent, kind of um, hits in some of these notes where the the game mechanic would be called your network. And so instead of just playing as a player character, instead of playing one single character, you'd start with a single character, but as you interact with people in the world you have a chance to roll 
to incorporate them into your network. And the better your role and the more you've interacted with them, you can actually then play them as a resource. You're kind of like, I don't know, the CIA, where you're an agent in the field and you acquire assets. You'd start kind of uh, with an interesting kind of you know meek sideline character, but it still was close to the action, like an interpreter or you know someone in the court. And uh, and then you could you you could never play like the Pope or the King because those would be too powerful. But you could get close. And you, as you'd expand your network, you, you literally would be your group of characters that are in this world that have access to power and information. And so I kind of, I'm working on network dynamics, and that's kind of taken some, a lot of thought process. But it's definitely coming along. The, have you ever seen the show Da Vinci's Demons? I think a little of it, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it was on like stars, and they basically you know, a lot of the, the spirit is kind of from that show in the sense that it's they take Da Vinci and they they turn him into a younger, hipper adventurer instead of just a you know scholar and an artist, and um, and he has his little back and forth between the church and the pope, and the pope's agents and the uh, secret society and the secret society kind of has, you don't know whether they, they, at times they seem, you know, benevolent and other times they seem downright, you know, uh, terroristic. And so that's kind of some of the ideas I want to play with too, is just having the power of the church, but also, I mean, you, you, you can recognize that there are subgroups in the church that aren't necessarily all on the same page. You know, you've got like um, kind of the modern orders, um, whether it's the Jesuits or the Franciscans or whatever, um, you know, they, they kind of have different agendas and they're kind of differently, um, you know, organized in, in, in philosophy and spirit. And so um, there's a whole lot of ideas to play with. So it's coming along slowly, um, but I think it's going to be big. I mean, I, I kind of, I don't want to do it small. Um, I kind of want to incorporate all this stuff and that might end up being like this gigantic, like, you know, multiple books or multiple ideas, but it's the project that late at night when I got some time, that's the one I go back to and, you know, add some ideas here and there. And so, um, yeah, I have no idea on timeline when it ever come out, but, um, I'm thinking about doing like starting with a, a tarot Kickstarter to just pay for the tarot art. And so it wouldn't be an, even a gaming product I literally get together the artists and we'd release a tarot deck with the art. And then that, that one Kickstarter hopefully would pay for the art for the artist for the tarot deck. And then I'd reuse all that art in the book and then perhaps do the, the tarot. The second Kickstarter would be a, um, a gaming tarot product where you could you know, be like adventure hooks based upon tarot reading. And since that's very general and not necessarily tied to any system, you know, hopefully that Kickstarter would then fund the actual book for Savage Worlds and all the other stuff. So that's kind of my idea now is doing two kind of moderate singular product um, Kickstarters first and uh, to kind of build up to being able to pay for lots of rich art, lots of production value, lots of, you know, that kind of stuff for, you know, here's the big setting. So that's where that is. <laughs> Sounds cool. It is ambitious. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is I'd rather just, you know, I'd rather make it like a magnum opus kind of deal than the, you know, oh, let's just get it out. Let's just do the work and, and push it out the door. Um, yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing is like no one. There are some other systems like I, I've I've since found people who have touched near this. Like um, the Italians put out a system called or a, a setting called Ultima Four San, and 
that's got some similar ideas. Like they, they use Da Vinci as kind of a, a steam Da Vinci punk. And like, you know, similar to your Iron Shroud, um, kind of brings in armor or a little more technology. And, um, but, you know, Renaissance era. But what they do, their big conceit is that after a certain year, like 14, I don't know, 50 or whatever, the, the zombie apocalypse happens. And so they've oh. really wiped out, all, you know, they, they keep history to yeah. a point and then there's a major break. And I'm like, well, I don't feel like I'm treading on their toes because that's not what I'm doing. I mean, like, bringing on the apocalypse might be a threat that happens in my game, um, but that's not I'm, not, I'm not bringing in, you know, waves of zombies and civilization has collapsed and you're, you know, fighting from little, you know, pockets. Um, yeah, well, that, that's more on the, that like, I, like crosses, it's you're combining two genres and trying to make something new out of it. That's, that's, that's a little different and, you know, and, and fun. But not necessarily, uh, you know, channeling the the actual way the times are, at, you know, at, at your 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 picked history, I guess area. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. And that's the thing is, to me, it's like I, I love the idea of zombie games. I think it'd be fun to play a Renaissance zombie game. For me, a lot of the stuff that's interesting here is like, you know, uh, playing a little bit with with Catholic and 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 Judeo Christian, um, like you've done in this setting where you've got. The ritual items, the artifacts, um, like you know, like the Jesus scourge and the Ark of the Covenant and um, the Ring of Solomon. So, hey, Pete, tell us about um, the use of uh, ritual items and artifacts, uh, historical or ahistorical, that you're using in this setting. I basically started out by just creating like a an artifact and uh, and relics, sort of base rules, you know, around you know generating those. It, it's it's certainly. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's widely known, but, you know, most churches have a relic, you know, so some component of a saint, you know, and uh, so it makes sense that those would be available at, you know, uh, to cross agents in certain situations. Most of the safe houses have a have a relic uh, and they're very basic. You know, they, they offer very basic, um, you know, uh, improvements, I guess, to your character when you have it, you know, in your possession. But you know you can't uh, you can't not deal with all the sort of epic Old Testament um, you know items like the Ark of the Covenant and um, the you know Staff of Solomon the, the you know the, the, all those uh, components you know that are you know, like in, in Indiana Jones and those type of things those are there and I did some write ups for them um, many of the of the uh, one sheet missions that would be part of the stretch goals or will come out in a, uh, a future. Uh, uh, combined uh, book um, hit on use of those uh, those uh, relics and artifacts um, so that you can see them you know used in a in an actual game um, one I you know we we actually didn't touch on it you know in, in all of this that we've talked about but one of the main things that uh, that cross tries to do is is to uh, pull back any artifacts or relics that um, they feel is a danger to humanity. Um, and they'll put that in the secret uh, uh, archives of the Vatican, uh, lock them away, you know. And so it's not a heck of a lot different than, you know, the scene we see in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where the, the Ark gets uh, tucked away in some um, warehouse. That's, uh, that's what Cross does. And there'll be times when they may pull something out of those archives that's needed to be used on a mission or something. So, um, you know, they, they've, got, uh, they've got a lot of the stuff that... Uh, you know, they may have the real versions of certain things. You know, who's to say where the Shroud of Turin actually is? You know, it, it's supposed to be in Turin, Italy, but is it? You know, that type of thing. We haven't really talked much about the spy aspect, but 
you know, there is a lot of espionage and and uh, and spy stuff going on as well. Rival factions. There's some people that worked for Cross at one point that uh, uh, that wanted to do uh, more black magic, kind kind of like around the Seal of Solomon, which can control demons. Um, you know, they wanted to use those things to protect the flock, and that didn't sit well with everyone. And so there's rival factions out there that um, will use those things, and they may end up at the same. Uh, you know, event, uh, and you'll, they'll have to figure out, you know, how to, how to navigate that. I didn't call the section on, you know, monsters and, and enemies. I called them adversaries because I thought that was better, more telling to, you know, to not just saying they're direct enemies. They may be adversaries in a certain situation because of what's at stake, you know, so kind of just channeling that you never know who to trust and trust no one. <laughs> I like that. Relic hunting has been, you know, a really kind of rich topic for film and RPG games, whether it's, you know, Indiana Jones or Laura Croft or the, you know, those kind of items like the you know, uh, relics make great MacGuffins for characters and games because not only is Almost there the, the perfect MacGuffin, right? I mean, because it's a combination of, you know, everyone's focused on a very specific task, you know, retrieve or destroy. The actual ritual items themselves can have meanings to, you know, different meanings to other groups. So you have rivals, adversaries, and enemies that are all also on the game board going after it or trying to stop you from going after it. And and then the consequences of, of success or failure become interesting because you can really... There's a great movie, one of the kind of inspirational things from my own setting. Um, it's called The Ninth Gate. And uh, it's a Roman Polanski film that's uh, Johnny Depp is the stars in it, and the it's kind of based upon a book um, by um, I like Roberto Perez I think the guy the same guy who did Queen of the South he wrote a book called The Club Dumas, uh, and the the MacGuffins in there are um, these uh, kind of the similar to like the Necronomicon a a, a fake historical book of great significance with potentially the power to, you know, uh, raise the devil himself. And, you know, the topics for, it sounds really dry because you, you the, the actual relic hunting is going through people who have historical book collections and he literally meets with people who are historical book collectors. Um, and that's their, you know, that's where it plays out, but there's the, the, the spy element and the historical element. And then the question of, if you actually collect all the correct pages from the correct books and read them, and are you gonna, you know, uh, are you gonna, you know, raise the devil? And um, and some of those questions, like they're they're better off left off screen, and sometimes it's better off to play with them. So, I think you know that's that's a lot of replayability if you've got a good uh, set of relics and kind of different powers you want to play with. So, you know, that's that's always fun. I mean, that's a that's a good reason to pick up the book as is, just using those as MacGuffins for any setting you want. I mean, once you've got, you know, hey. 20 bucks for 20 good ideas on, on MacGuffins to have people go chase and here's the powers they do and here's what, you know, like those are useful tools for any setting, so. Yeah, that's one thing I think is missing in, in some games and that's, you know, like in Deadlands. I would love, and I know they had talked about it at one point and I don't know where it went, but a, a relic book, you know, a, a book of relics in Deadlands that you can tie adventures to. So yeah, I completely agree. Having that out there really helps right off the bat to, to help you build those stories. So here's a last question. Um, given, given that your characters, your agents are Catholic, um, is there a different kind of play style regarding how far they can go in the pursuit of their ends? The, 
I mean, I'd, I'd almost assume that um, murder hoboing for effect is kind of off the table. Um, how? Uh, so uh, there is uh, the Holy Vows, which are uh, a series of uh, of basically, I guess, rules that you're generally supposed to follow. It's not the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, obviously, those are very, you know, specific um, as to what you can and can't do. Um, but the last uh, of the Holy Vows is that you you have to go to confession and confess your sins. So if you, you know, if you did something in the course of your mission, you know, you're going to have to go talk to your priest and tell him what you did. Um, that could cause all sorts of trouble for your future with, with, with the agency. Oh, wow. That's kind of a fantastic little uh, gaming mechanic right there. The consequences for actions. I like it. That's, fas- that's fascinating. I'd love to see how that plays out. Well, we appreciate it, Pete. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you guys, uh, there's 21 days left on the Kickstarter for Secret Agents Across. Um, pick up the test drive at blessedmachine.com. And um, we're pretty sure you're going to get funded, man, because this actually sounds like a pretty cool idea. I'm definitely uh, filling a niche that hasn't been uh, overplayed yet. And um, we wish you all the best, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming right. on the show. All right, I appreciate you guys having me on. All right, thanks everyone for listening to episode 24 of Savage Cast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email at uproar at savagecast.com. You can find us on G. You can find us on Facebook. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get some questions. Uh, we do have a question uh, coming that we're going to answer next episode, so uh, be ready for that. Uh, that's from Daniel C., so we'll kind of tease that, Daniel. We're going to answer your question next episode. Uh, you can find us on iTunes if you'd like to subscribe to the show. We'd love to have you leave us a review. Uh, the more stars, the better, so more people can find our show. And I think with that, that's going to wrap up episode 24. Thanks again. Uh, This is the Savage Mommy. And the Savage Bull. And stay savage. Savage.